welcome to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ali Harvey, Programmes Manager at the Heritage Council, Sarah Sherlock, Geospatial Consultant with Murphy Geospatial, and Taris Gagey, uh, Urban Planner Graduate and working in public consultation and stakeholder engagement. Um, I am so delighted to have this panel together because this is where this is our placemaking panel where we're going to look at some of the things that get heavily criticized online and maybe try get to some information and some details and maybe look at some of the trends that we're seeing since the pandemic. Um, so Ali, we might just start with you and just talk us through your role with the Heritage Council. Okay, so I am programs manager. So what that means is that I run the planning programs, the national planning programs in the Heritage Council. So we are actually based in Kilkenny, but for the last year or so, I have actually been sort of based at home in County Carlow. So one of the programs that I set up in a few years ago was looking at town centres. So it's really, really timely that we had the collaborative town centre health check program set up because obviously the demand during lockdown has just increased, you know, uh, the numbers are just completely bonkers at this stage. You know, we have 15 towns in the programme at the minute and during lockdown that grew to 42. So we have 42 towns on a waiting list now. So yeah, lots of demand for town centre regeneration, for the whole sort of like macro planning, placemaking, digital transformation. It's just a really exciting time, I think, actually, to be in the sector, um, you know, and to really focus on heritage-led regeneration. So yeah, it's uh, interesting and timely sort of, you know, to be in the sector and, I suppose really the challenge for us now over the summer is to make sure that the investment from the programme for government happens. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually think it's a really exciting time, but it's such an important time. We want to make sure that this is the time that we get the policies right and the execution of those policies right. So I think, um, you know, there has been maybe a lot of talk about how trends are changing, how what impact remote work will have. So I think it's really, it's an important time to be having this particular conversation as well. Um, Sarah, you might just again talk us through your role with Murphy Geospatial. Thanks, Carl. Um, I work as a geomatic surveyor. I'm not sure if many understand that or are familiar with the term, but it's also uh, land surveying. And I would do a lot of boundary surveys. So, you know, I would frequently find myself looking at, say, for example, planning files, looking at design drawings as built and trying to get to the root of the issue. Um, and then the other items that I will be doing will be like driving all over the country, you know, to different boundaries as the, as they arise. When I be coming back, I will be looking at driving to our town centres and I will be saying to myself, my goodness, how is this? And that's, you know, all this ties together. Um, other things that I would do with the company is uh, large scale projects and um, looking at the likes of heritage projects. There's many different types. Anything that has to be measured above, on and below the ground is what the company would specialise in. So there's somebody there for that. So it's a case of putting them in contact with the right person. Um, that's that's my interest in all of this. Okay, thanks, And, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. and Tara, um, you're, as I mentioned, you're probably one of the most recent urban planning graduates and full disclosure, you're working with one of our brands at the moment, Public Consul um, Place Engage on public consultation and stakeholder engagement. But talk us through your interest and how you came to return to public plan to urban planning. I was made redundant and I decided to jump in and take an opportunity. I started in landscape design and didn't have the drawing skills for the architecture and planning came up and I loved geography. 
And it's actually, it's just incredible how expansive the program is in terms of the opportunities of work and where you could go. Um, so I did the master's and um, had to look for a bit and then met yourself. And it's only further, you know, served to expand my interest even more. And now with, you know, being able to research and look and see where in Ireland different things are happening in terms of people moving um, and housing crisis and everything else beyond the pale, it, to me, is just going to see a massive resurgence, I think, in people looking to move um, and have a better quality of life is really the main thing that I see is coming out at the moment. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the trends we're talking about. You know, over the past uh, 15 months, we were hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence about, um, you know, this mass exodus from the cities. And I wasn't really sure where that was going to land. So over the over the course of the show last year, certainly we were trying to touch base with locally based and regionally based um, estate and letting agents. And one of the things we could see was that there wasn't much impact on the sales market, but people were certainly renting. And I saw it myself when we came up to open our Galway branch. I was looking for somewhere to rent in Connemara, um, you know, back last September. And there were eight properties across all of Connemara. Connemara is a big area. So to have only eight properties for rent um, was really, you know, quite, quite stunning. Um, you know, and, and yet we're, we can see that the lettings markets in really rural areas that were very quiet some of their rentals you know they, they're outside of the stats that da, that daft in my home show estate agents are telling me that they're seeing 40 percent increases in rent so properties that were renting 450 euros now they're they're coming up to 800 euros and it, it figures like that so we're, we're seeing a huge change we're seeing a huge shift i don't know if that's translated as much into property and property sales. And this why I think the programs that you're involved with, Ali, are particularly relevant at the moment, because obviously these were initiated prior to COVID. So how has COVID and the expansion of remote working changed the, the plan that the programs had? Yeah, well, very much so, actually, because obviously people, as Tara says, people are looking to the, the towns, the small towns, medium towns, you know, in a way that the, they weren't looking at it before. So, I mean, our programme is very much looking focused on towns at level. So we're not in the cities yet. We've been asked to do the cities, but um, I felt and the Heritage Council felt that it was very much that we look, needed to look at the towns and support them pre-COVID. So, yeah, COVID, like, obviously, we were trying to help them as they went in. One of the things, I suppose, is the digital transformation. You know, that has been such a huge thing. So, like, we were surveying a lot of the town centres um, as they went into COVID. And what we found was most of them, a high proportion of the towns, the town centres, the commercial sector, were not online. Um, so that was, I mean, really what we're trying to do with the CTCHC programme is to look at the patterns and the trends and to gather that data so that we have that macro data which didn't exist before so I mean we're really pushing on with that and trying to get it all sort of digitally mapped and you know make sure that people can you know engage in the data as well that there's a public value um, and as I say that's really the focus of our work in the Heritage Council and I mean that's why Sarah and I've been working together to try and get this digital platform set up and we'll be moving swiftly towards that in July we were sort of hoping that the program for government would have moved you know for the CTCHC so we just really need to keep going because, as I say, the demand from 42 towns that want to join the programme, we have 15 towns that move, need to move forward into phase two. So, I mean, phase two is all about town centre renewal. 
Um, and like, for example, if I can give one example in the West, which is Sligo, like we have surveyed that town centre, there's 200 vacant buildings. You know, the potential there is immense for opportunities to do the clustering, to look at the buildings all together. The problem at the minute is that there's no national building stock management programme in Ireland. So we don't have any information or stats or, you know, sort of costings or whatever for the building stock that is um, vacant, you know. You know, this this is covered. I, I think part of this is covered under the uh, not knowing even what we don't know. So one of the things that I, I see, when, particularly through PropTech Ireland, if I'm focusing on one area, I'm seeing that there's a there's a new focus on gathering data and uh, understanding how to action that. Um, but Sarah, I think it was through maybe a, a, an online or LinkedIn exchange. You know, I'm I'm an optimist, so I can see where progress is being made. You know, I can see the Office of Planning Reg- Regulator is really, I, I can see that there's a plan to put things in place. There's, well, sorry, there's an intention to put things in place. Um, but I, again, I am the eternal optimist and I'm looking at pockets of innovation and generally where PropTech Ireland is involved, these are people or organisations that were open to innovation, that were ready for innovation and gearing up for it. But can you can you through your work, um, not just not just um, the the work that Ali referred to there, Sarah, but the work with uh, Murphy Geospatial, where does Ireland sit in terms of having a digitized land stock? You know, I think we have an awful lot of really good things. Um, I don't think everything is bad. I just think it's a little bit disparate at the moment and it needs a more joined up approach. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think there's a general realisation that that's, you know, that's where we're going and it will happen. But it just takes time. Um, Jordan and Survey, I see as being one of the the single biggest and best repositories that we all have. It's a consistent sort of data there since 1833, I think it is. And it goes right the way through to modern day. And I think that needs to be, you know, that's the structure that we need to be building upon and making better you know um do just to come back to you do i think where do i think we're going i think there's no doubt in my mind that we are going to see that made better bolstered up and integrated into many more things maybe not just the ordnance survey but lots more in there there's no way today's children are going to tolerate or suffer some of what we're seeing today they're going to demand it they're not going to be looking at flat maps paper maps Wondering how you like. I, I attended um, an online lecture about a county development plan, and we were talking about all these different maps and plans. And one of the questions that I had was, "Are these going to be all made readily available at the end that we can take them and overlay them and inter- interrogate them ourselves?" And well, I didn't get an answer. But anyway, I just think to myself, "How is that so? Like, why aren't we getting it? Why isn't it available? Why isn't it an online viewer that I can go in there and interrogate it?" But I do also understand the reasons why we might not want to do that. Because, say, for example, some items may come from a map at a scale of one is to fifty thousand, and then you have somebody else that will overlay a map at a scale of one is to a thousand. The two of those don't come from the same resolution, so you'll automatically get. Uh, disparities between them so people may take things from them that was never meant so we have to be careful how we do it and make sure that everything is fit for purpose but I would see data provenance and data governance been really important to all this and um, we have the Aero Institute in, in NUI Maynooth which is the All-Ireland um, Research Observatory they're doing some pretty magnificent stuff and I think the other thing that we really have to look at 
this is the one thing that gives me the most hope in the last 12 months is the work that the Land Development Agency have done. Now, I know it's not absolutely earth shattering, but my goodness, it's fantastic. They've brought together their spatial data. It's in an easy to use, integrated viewer where everything is there, transparent, open, easy to understand. That's what we need to see. Like, why can't I see that when I go into my planning portals? My plan, why isn't that linked? We need more linkages. We need more integration. We need more coherency, more consistency. It'll yeah. come. Yeah. It just yeah. takes time. Do you know, I, I agree with so much of what you're saying there in terms of um, trying to make this, this process more accessible to the public. And through Place Engage, that's exactly what we've been trying to do is input all of the um, available information in one place. But one of the things that I feel really strongly about as somebody who is not an urban planner and um, I, I cannot read plans um, in the way that a more skilled person could. For me, I think immersive technologies, because, um, because planning is a public function, if we really want to make it accessible, we have to make people understand it. I think there's been an element of shutout. Um, for, it hasn't been made accessible. It, it, it might be available, but locked away in a PDF or in something that's so hard to decipher. That's not accessible. So from our point of view, uh, using emerging technologies like immersive technologies, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality, um, it just completely opens up. Um, it opens up the design process and the plan to people who might otherwise just not understand it. If it is, you know, uh, you know, our, our current system of, of, public consultation like or, or community engagement, putting an A4 sheet on hoarding. I mean, when I th to think that that's still part yeah. of the regime today. Car Car Carol, can I come in there? Please can I just do. come in there? Because, I mean, basically, I mean, my whole background is community planning. So, like, you know, a long time ago, I did my postgrad dissertation on community empowerment and urban regeneration. So, I mean, what you're saying is really, really important because it's about sort of participative democracy, you know, uh, enabling people to participate in public systems. So, like what we've talked about the last year or so during the lockdown is the lack of interfaces. And because, you know, people couldn't get out, the digital became so much more important that it had to be put in place. So I think, you know, I suppose trying to be positive, there is an opportunity there, but we really do need to play catch up as well. Um, and, and those interfaces don't exist. And also, like, for example, in other countries, they have um, planning and design aid services, which we don't have in Ireland. So community groups can go somewhere to get some kind of technical advice. And we don't have that. Um, as I say, I'm talking about the macro. So there's a few things that are at the macro level that need to be fixed, you know. I, I would say there's more than a few things at the macro level. I mean, Tara, you've actually been working in uh, community engagement over COVID. So, I mean, the challenges, how, you know, talk to me about the challenges that exist when you can't, when you can't um, go outside your five kilometres and yet you're still trying to engage with the community who are more than five kilometres away. Yeah, I, I think and it does it does come down to that digital divide between people that have access and people that don't and the being able to even have the knowledge to use the technology. Um, I mean, we were doing the work on and it was OK, well, I don't have Zoom. I, I have a phone. So let's adapt it to having a phone interview and, and taking a lot of hand notes or send an email with a list of questions and then seeing a follow up phone call that might help. Um, 
but what I found as well in researching, you know, both in university well, lots and lots of projects, like you know, yeah. not, not just one particular project, but kind of in general, um, any project, you know, whether it's a regional city or or indeed uh, Dublin city, because we're seeing parts of that regenerated. You know, mm. how how is that working? Well, well, access to the systems, as as uh, Sarah was saying, that it seems that there's a lot of different ap- aspects or abilities to it. Um, but it's not very easy to to navigate or, you know, if you went on to something like Map Genie and you want to see what the maps were like in the 1860s, how do I figure that out? It's not always obvious to someone that hasn't experienced it before, which means that the do- the knowledge is locked as opposed to be widely open. Yeah. And, you know, again, this comes back to planning being a public function. Has it gotten slightly derailed Um you know, and actually, I'm throwing this out to to the whole panel. So please, anybody who has a, a view on this, because I, I certainly don't know. But um, planning is a public function, but how ready are the general community to engage? How interested are they? Can I just come in there? Please do. <laughs> One of the things that I always think about when I think about planning is it's so young, right? We only have rules and regulations as such since, you know, the 2000s really, right? So we're looking at 20 odd years there of maturity, okay? That has to grow, that has to get better. And I think people are genuinely trying to do it and trying to get better. You know, and we all acknowledge that it can't continue the way it is. And our planning system, to what extent it actually plans, I'm not sure I'm convinced. I wonder, is it reactionary? Like, why is it that we don't know where the next houses are going to be built in our city? Why is it we don't know with more certainty? Why is it that we have to wait for somebody to lodge an application? Why are we seeing SHDs on outer orbital ring roads in provincial towns? Why? You know, that's not planning. That's just something else. I don't know what it is. I can't even describe it, begin to describe it when there's so much brown feeling closer to the the town centres. You know, we need to sit down and take stock of what we have, analyse it and actually plan. That's what I think we need to do. But is that not what the local development area plans are for? You would argue, yes. Can, can I just go back to the point about participation, you know, and that you have to have an interface to engage with your public system. So, you know, if you don't have those interfaces in place, like participation doesn't just happen. And I've been saying this for many, many years based on all the theory that, that I would have studied years ago um, and trying to apply that. So, you know, it, it, consultation is totally different to participation. And again, I think we need to get that message through to the policymakers who some of whom have never studied um, sort of empowerment or participative theory. So, you know, um, I have made that argument many times to the Department of Housing that consultation is, is not participation. Participation takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. It's only for people who are really committed to, you know, participatory planning. Um, and unless we get that understanding in our system, I, you know, I think we're going to keep going around in circles. And that's why the Collaborative Town Centre Health Check Programme has been so immensely popular, because people are seeing for the first time. I was actually in a meeting last week with Cork City Council. We're working with UCC. We're working with the GIS officer. We've moved everything onto a digital um, surveying platform. And actually the, the community guy, Stephen Murphy, who has to be, you know, sort of commended for for pushing this in Cork City Council he said to me my god Ali we're actually collaborating you know like in a really wonderful way so 
I mean, that's something that I'm really proud of because that's what we were trying to do. And we were really trying to get, you know, across that the system, as Sarah says, you know, it needs to move forward. And also like that took an immense effort over four years. Like that's what I've sent to the Department of Housing last Thursday. This has been a battle for me. You know, it was never anybody said to me, what do you need, Ali? It was literally just trying to sort of work out how, how do we, what do we do now? What paths do we take now? How do we make, make this successful with the community groups, with the private sector, with the businesses and the commercial sector and the town centre sent us? Oh my God, this is fabulous. This model is fabulous. Yeah, I, I think the key word there is the participation. It has to be two-way and actually we've really simplified this for both the private sector and public sector uh, when we're going out to talk about this in fact in the same way that um a lot of a lot of uh tv is being replaced by on-demand streaming and uh you know you've, you've podcasts overtaking a lot of radio you know what, what we're seeing here is the need for two-way communication so actually i'm not sure that websites websites are very one way they go up they're static and they shout at people whereas what we're talking about when you when you talk about interfaces you know one of the things i'm seeing as a as a starting point there are the two-way platforms that open up engagement but in a way that um, makes it accessible for people um for whatever whatever language they're speaking makes them accessible um to to not just read all the information that's available but actually comment but one of the things that we like to see is commenting under set criteria because that allows then data to be captured because at the moment i think that people use acceptable um they use acceptable reasons as opposed to maybe the truth and we see that through uh judicial review applications that might be um saying one thing but perhaps being motivated by another um and in that way not only are we are we not tackling the issue, but we're also not understanding the issue because we're not letting people really, the people, we're not allowing them to really express how they feel about this opinion. They, they have no, they have no option other than to object. And that's, we've backed people into a corner with that. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Sarah, I know this is something that you feel, you feel strongly about as well. And maybe it's something we've disagreed with, uh, disagreed about in the past, but I'm interested to see, you know, I'm interested to see where your thinking is on this. Well, I just have one thing that, I want that I would like to say that was striking me there while we were talking. I think when we're making our county development plans, if as much effort went into thinking about regenerating and working in what we have and making better use of it as expanding all the time. Like if we keep expanding, you know, NACE will be in Kildare and you know, Dublin is already in NACE, partially in some ways, right? So the, the reason that I think the CTCHC program is able to bring out the best in people is because they're looking at what they have and how the little changes they can contribute to make it better and to get better outcomes. You know, I think that's fundamental and I don't think we see enough of that and we need to see more of it. And when we do, we start getting better things coming out of it. Um, sorry, Carl, can you just go back to the other question then that you asked me? That's just an observation that I that I think well, is quite important. We need to think more about regeneration. No, actually, I, I think that this is a great point to, to maybe hone in on and to unpack a little bit because the... I, I think sometimes it gets overlooked that when Simon Coveney introduced um, Rebuilding Ireland, that focusing on our vacant stock and bringing vacant stock back into use was one of the five pillars. And I, I don't know, was it not resourced or what? And, and actually, there's a very good initiative that was started out of Mayo County Council um, 
vacanthomes.ie and it was literally a, a website for people where they notice vacant homes they can flag them with the local authority the local authority then goes and does their investigation around them and and um to discover are they actually vacant and if so do they, are these ones that we need to take action about um but th- you know that was again well, it was a nationwide initiative. It was initiated out of Mayo County Council. Um, there seems to be, well, obviously there is a renewed focus on tackling vacant homes, but vacant properties brought, as a broader category is such a huge issue. Why, how has that been overlooked? Is it a cost? You know, is it, a, is it that there isn't the, maybe the private sector profits to make it worthy of focusing on? our internal obsession with new, that's what's wrong. It has to be new or it's no good. You know, I don't think we look at things maturely and say, well, we have what we have. How do we make it better? How do we build upon it? How do we keep it for the next generation? You know, we don't, everything in our life is disposable. We have a new thing, new, new, new. This mindset needs to change. It's not sustainable. I think it is changing though, uh, Sarah, because... And it's interesting, we we are at a pivotal point. There are, I think there's 20, 22 county development plans being developed at the moment for 22-28. And within each of those, we've all signed up to the SDGs. Yes. They need to be implemented, sustainability of both land buildings um, and resources is something that's prioritized um, or should be prioritized. I haven't seen all the development plans, so I can't quote, uh, quote on it. Um, and I do think because people have more access to information and um, they're looking at this and the questions are coming. And where I've seen county development plan consultation portals happening, they're listing all of the questions that are coming up and people are are intelligent. They're they're asking very pointed um, questions about issues that are specific to their area. And I'm I'm very hopeful that the you know, the local authorities are going to be looking at those and integrating it. But either way, you can see that the information is, you know, the questions are being asked. Um, so the outcomes have to reflect that. And that's, that's, that's one of the really things, positive thing, yeah. One of the things I would love to see coming from that, right? Say, for example, we have a town centre property and or a cluster of them even, and it, the area is going to be either new build or whatever, whatever planning application comes in the door for that, there should be an analysis done on the cost of removing it in its entirety. If it's going to be removed, flattened and new build all the way, why aren't we seeing those figures? Because there is a real cost to demolishing what we have, removing it and replacing it with new. We don't see that appearing on any spreadsheet. So we're getting a figure of however many million or whatever for a development, but it's only a part of it. It's not including all of it. You know, there's there's other costs that are not there that we need to be considering because those costs have been passed on to future generations. They've been passed on to business as it is today. There's lots of other things, environmental consequences. We are, you know, where are we getting all of our materials from that we are constantly replacing for? All these new roads to service all this new land. Where's all that, those resources coming from? You know, I think we think that we live on a planet that's going to keep replenishing itself automatically. Yeah. In some respects, but not all. 
I think that's the job of planning. I mean, you know, there needs to be more sort of economic um, robustness in the planning system. You know, like we have finite resources. And again, that needs to be really highlighted by the, the national planning system. But I mean, it goes back to the point I was making earlier that we're missing the macro policy. I mean, as we speak today, we don't have a national policy for town centres. It doesn't exist. And it's something something that we lobbied for and advocated for from late 2019. And now we have the commitment in the Programme for Government for a town centre first policy. But it's almost a year to the Programme for Government being released and nothing has come out yet. So, you know, like we need to collaborate. We need to move on. I mean, other countries in Europe are sort of going, what are your vacancy rates? You know, like they're quite stunned um, when they hear our vacancy rates. Yeah. Ali, can you explain the town centre first policy? Because, you know, I've read some almost contradictory literature. And I just wonder what what is that um, specifically? Just well, it's, because the town first is misinterpretation. Yeah, town centre first light is really, it's the need for a policy that will focus on town centres first and foremost, right? Going back to what you're saying there about the rebuilding Ireland, I mean, we were suggesting it should have been called rebuilding and reusing Ireland. I mean, the whole sort of focus on new build has been quite startling um, when we do get into the towns and we do sort of drill down and start to get the vacancy levels. But it goes back to what I was saying about the gap analysis that we did as part of the programme sort of system, the, the CTCHC programme, you know, that the data is not there for the buildings, for where, where they're located, where are the clusters. We have to get the clusters because we have to get the economies of scale. Also, fundamentally, and I mean, I have a, a visual that envisages four phases for the CTCHC programme. So, I mean, one of the phases, and they can run concurrently, is we have to get new financial models. And the, the they can't be financial models on their own. They have to be, we have to go one step further and make them economic models, right? Which means that the non-monetary benefits are are included, not just the monetary um, flip. Do you know what I mean? And also then there's no policy in place for enabling developments. So the land out the back, which has got a hope value, which has not been released or realised, that needs to be built into our to our macro systems at all. And I mean, any town centre first that has, is, you know, is worthy or robust in any way must start to address those things. You know, the economic appraisals, the social cost benefit, you know, how do we get these clusters done? Who are the owners? Another thing in the data gaps are who are yeah. the owners? I mean, Actually, that information is missing as well, you know? I think that's a really important point. You're talking about the social value and, and we know the, the, the need for that to show that in, in developments, but in terms of who owns those properties, um, I, I think the conversation around social value is different when you're speaking to the public sector or private sector. So where is the ownership of these these vacant properties, you know, where is that lying at the moment and what kind of controls are in place? Um, you know, what kind of action can... Yeah, well, one of the things we did last week, actually, we had a webinar for compulsory sale orders in Europe, looking to see, you know, what other tools are out there. I mean, I, I used to do CPO arbitration hearings when I worked in the private sector. I was in the private sector for nearly 10 years before I took up this job. So, um, you know, compulsory sale orders then puts the onus on the owner to um, get rid, to shift the building, right? To put the put it back into the building stock. And it goes back to what I've said about building stock management. We don't have a national program. We don't have a national policy. You know, this this to me is exciting. Like, I don't know why we're sort of holding back and sitting back. You know, I think we should just dive in. And I mean, you know, I think that part of the CTCHC program is enabling us to do that, to get to, to sort of remove the blockages, whatever they are. CSOs are really um, exciting yeah. insofar as they let the market demand what the, the price will be as opposed to paying whatever. Like, we don't know how much we're paying. Are we paying over the odds with CPOs as opposed to CSOs? You know, so th there's lots of exciting things there to be explored as well, you know? It, it seems that a lot of the, our conversation today is coming back to they're not 
being a, a full understanding of what's available to us, you know, whether it's um, in terms of uh, data for future trends or how how um, how the next cohort of home buyers are they going to want to engage in a in a program of renovating properties, you know, or does that need to almost be done for them so they're being presented as new properties? How do you envisage these are going to be used? the vacant properties? Well, I mean, like that has to be decided as part of the regeneration model. I mean, going back to Tara's point with the climate change, I mean, that's a real driver for change. You know, one of the things that we're talking about, I'm a, I actually have a meeting later this week to try and set up a pilot project looking at contemporary living in town centres. You know, do we need to knock through some of those buildings on the upper floors? Um, you know, if a building is a protected structure and it's got a tree growing out the roof, it's not really a protected structure, let's be honest, you know. So there's a lot of sort of perverse things that have to be, you know, dealt with and we have to just deal with them. That's the thing. I think the do nothing message really needs to get out now, you know, that do nothing is not an option anymore. And as I say, all the land that is behind the traditional main street needs to be looked at for in terms of the hope value. And we also need to look at things like meanwhile use, you know, like what, what is the temporary use that can go in there. But we also need to address the traditional building stock in our town centres. And as I say, there is no national programme for that at the minute for building. We, we need to understand our buildings. You know, like if you look at local area plans and you look at the town centre, it's designated as one zone. And I, I find that kind of remarkable that you would have hundreds and hundreds of years of history and heritage in a town centre. And that doesn't come through in a local area plan at the minute. And the 3D, the character, the, the, the age, the era of the, the building, the architecture style, that's not addressed. That's not recognised and it's certainly not valued. And I think that that's really where this comes down to. The, the crux of, of the thing, as Tara said, like, you know, and Sarah as well, we've all been talking about this, you know, how come this has not been valued and how do we sort of change our value system moving forward? I think, uh, sorry, yeah, I think Ali, um, having, you know, come into this new and maybe looking at it more, you know, with fresh eyes and also just kind of seeing things like we're we are moving towards the point where our buildings will have to have a green passport. It's coming in from Europe. It's going to be slow, but sure, but it'll be digitization of individual um, individual buildings, which ultimately, I hope, will include, you know, the viability of it and the carbon load of all the materials that are going to be used, the economics of it, which should link in then with our land registry and give a long history. And I think if that was done with the heritage buildings or, you know, anything built from before now backwards and link it in with the land registry with BIM, we're going to have a record that we can actually work with. Um, and if the processes that I see developing at the moment with the LGMA trying to digitize the planning system, that's the first steps. Um, and I do I do think that it will happen, but it's very slow and it's going to take money. But if the LDA is doing it with the land, I just don't understand why there's not a joined up interconnection of, of the technology. That almost brings us full circle back to Sarah's initial point, doesn't Sarah? It is indeed. But I would say there's a couple of things like one we don't in. I just wonder if our general boundary system is one of the reasons that we are slow on the uptake on this. Like if we had a precise cadastre where everyone knew where their posts were and their defined coordinates, you could you could design with certainty. You could, you know, you would have more freedom. You wouldn't have as much ambiguity about what your boundaries are. Right. So I wonder, is that one of the major impediments? But to elaborate on what Tara said, absolutely. Like 
if I have a building in a town centre at the moment and it has been scanned and surveyed and bimmed to death, why aren't I bringing that into my local authority and saying, this is what I want to build, this is what I want to do. Then I go to my contractor and I say, here's what I want to do. I monitor his construction throughout the entire phase of the, the programme of works, right? At the end, I have then a really robust FM, PM piece of software that I can keep updating all my little things, you know, about this, I got my roof maintained, I have my maintenance manuals, all this in here. You know, that's actually possible. Yeah, are you are you referring there, Sarah, kind of to to the digital twin, the the digital, the digital twin, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, we have... and, and that's what's needed for the life cycle of buildings. But yes. how mm. how far away from you know how realistic is it? Because we can see that for newer properties or, or new new properties being handed over now, we can see leading contractors are handing over the digital asset along with the physical asset. So the they are, but like delivered. they are. How but do we do that our on local, a retro basis? But think about it. Like, well, you know, I think there comes a stage where we have to say, what's happened in the past has happened in the past. Let's draw a line in the sand, act like we're all grown up, mature, going to make good decisions for the generation coming behind us so they don't think we're barking mad, all right? And let's be positive about it, right? But what I will say to you is our planning system at the moment can't accept a BIM. For the purpose of a planning application so therefore that's a problem you know so it doesn't matter if i have the best bim in the world i have to put it in the bin if i want to bring it to the planning department because it, can, it doesn't work with their systems you know so okay, we have to, to be clear to... though that is something that's being worked on at the moment to try of to course. try put in place a place a protocol that Absolutely. we can move towards digital digitizing the planning applications how far away from that do you think we are i'm not sure being honest, because you'd have to wonder about consistency throughout local authorities. Mm. You know, um, are all local authorities consistent in how they take data in, use data, scan it up? Like I've, I've seen some planning files which are spectacular, amazing. You can work with them so easily, pull down PDFs, all works. I've seen others and I don't know what way they scan. But upside, down. I, upside down, inside out, and like the dog Judith or something. I don't know. Um, you know, we have to be, we need more consistency. We need to be really strict on how this information is taken into our local authorities and then decimated out because, that, you know, we have to, we have to look about creating good systems, structures, policies that they all work for us going together. We should be looking at our, like, for me, genuinely, hand on my heart, I think planning offers the most opportunity to the entire of the rest because it sets down. It's like it's like this beautiful little foundation ground for everything to grow on because it can all come out of it. It can capture it, but it needs to draw a line in the sand and say, here's how we're going to go forward, you know, and mm -hmm. take in the data and work with it. Like It's 40 years. Here's something that I find most alarming. It's 40 years since the digital map or since the map library in Trinity has received a serious deposition of maps and mapping because we are gone digital. We're going to find ourselves with a big lacuna, you know, so we need to think about this and how we're doing it. The other thing that I really struggle with every time I look at a county development plan or any plan indeed is where's our streetscapes? How come we're not seeing a 3D mapped streetscape? Where's that information? Like it's, Three, how many years have we had flat maps? I know it's 1833 since the Ordnance Survey started mapping Ireland, right? We're still not seeing streetscape mapping. Why aren't we changing that? Why aren't we doing it? We have multiple different methods of doing that, mass data capture. We're not doing it. Why? 
The really frustrating part about that is that a lot of this information is available. It's just locked away of, of being used for different purposes. And this is where the integrated thinking comes in. Um, sorry, Ali, you were just coming in there. Yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, I, I share Sarah's enthusiasm and passion because, you know, I, I sort of feel quite disillusioned with, um, you know, the, the plans at the minute that I see. And Sarah and I were talking about this for at least a year, you know, you want you want something to get excited about and to me you know my background is plan on whatever but I also studied economics so you know like you want you want to talk about regeneration it's about people in place people have re-engaged with their places during lockdown in a way that we have never seen before right because of that 5k lockdown so people are much more aware of what they've got what what mess maybe some of their high streets are in um, their town centers whatever and they want to see action and I think there needs to be an urgency now with the policy and all the stuff that we're talking about today the sort of digital transformation you know the Heritage Council very much with the CTCHC program like we are sort of we, we kind of consider ourselves to be positive disruptors in a very positive way that's really what we're trying to do is to move the system on um, and to get this change that you know obviously when you're trying to get change at a macro level there's going to be resistance that's just the way it is that's how that's how systems work but like we've got the EU Green Deal coming and Tara was talking about you know what's coming there um, and we've got the the Bauhaus movement the new European Bauhaus movement um, so I mean there's a lots of lots of really exciting things at a European level and I mean as an Irish person and as an Irish citizen paying taxes I don't want to see vacancy rates at the levels that we're seeing and the Dutch keep asking me why are your vacancy rates so high yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> You know, and that's that's such a huge issue. I'm so conscious of time now, so we're going to have to wrap up. But before we wrap up, um, there's one question that I definitely want to throw out to the panel. Um, you know, one of the things that one of the problems I've identified is the overly political nature of planning that that um that we've turned into this reactionary policymakers, and that's really dangerous. Um, you know, is you know, in, in terms of in terms of how reactionary urban planning should be, my view is similar to what Sarah mentioned earlier, that there really needs to be a strategy in place that's followed. So similar to what we might see for our food policies through Board Bia or to our tourism policies through Fall to Ireland. And yet for our housing, which is so critical, it seems to be reactionary, whatever's trending on Twitter, um, is suddenly getting the attention of policymakers. How do we change that? And I'm going to ask each of the panel just before we wrap up, maybe for one thing that that needs to change for us to put in a more sustainable, to put to build our stock more sustainably, whether it's reusing what we have. So, um, Sarah, I'll start with you. Uh, final words. What would you like to see happen next? I'd love to see the obsession with new stopping and realizing what we have taking it embracing it and making better use of it there's no reason why we can't our towns and our villages have served us for many many years and guess what they will continue to do so if allowed yeah i think that's a really great point sarah thank you tara i think when we know that consultation is going to increase in importance i think responsive as opposed to reactive consultation is going to be key where people actually feel heard as opposed to commenting into the void and then not necessarily seeing a response because people are angry. That's why they're reacting. Um, and then you have political reaction to that. Um, just needs to be a more mature communication process, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And it really follows on from what Ali was saying earlier about this participation. You know, maybe we need to move away from some of the language that we've had in the past and really look at participation and mean it. 
Um, Ali, last words of the panel today go to you. What, what needs to change? Thanks very much. Um, really, we need better policy, you know, and um, as I said here today, you know, working with these towns, we don't have the policy for town centres that we were promised a year ago. So, I mean, that would be a fundamental shift. Um, and we do need a cultural shift as well, you know, as we're all saying in the panel. Um, there's a lot of enthusiastic people out there who want to see the change happen. So, I mean, it's trying to get onto that winning pathway that the European Commission is encouraging. Um, and making sure that Ireland does that and that we can rehouse, you know, our young people in our town centres, make them vibrant again, use those traditional buildings, look at the backlands, see how can we, um, you know, redevelop those backlands and, you know, and just get going and, and stop sort of sitting around saying, OK, we can't do this. We can't do it. Let us do it. Yeah, I love that. We can do it. Let us do it. It reminds me of a sign that used to be hanging over um, the door in my parents' house. Uh, the person who said this shouldn't be done took it out of the way of the people doing it. Um, <laughs> and it, it kind of sums up a lot of what's happening here today. Uh, we didn't even get to touch on some of the points uh, like the 15 minute city and some of the other ones that we really wanted to get to today. So I feel like today maybe uh, was only the start was only the start of a conversation and I hope to pick it up again. Um, thank you so much for joining us this week. That was uh, Ali Harvey, Programs Manager at the Heritage Council, Sarah Sherlock, Geospatial Consultant with uh, Murphy Geospatial, Tara Skeggy, Urban Planning Graduate and Working Public Consultation and Stakeholder Engagement right now. That's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound. We're back at the same time next week. From myself and all the team here, stay safe.